Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about the tragedy of Macbeth. The new Apple Plus film is in theaters right now. It's black and white. It's four by three. It's Shakespeare and it is bold cinema. We're excited to talk <laughs> about it. We're also going to talk about Disney's Encanto. It is now on Disney Plus streaming for those of you who are subscribers. So it's almost free. We're going to talk about the end of the show. Normally we talk about like the family friendly kids movie before the weird black and white bold cinema movie, but this is the home of bold cinema. All right. And it's what we do. So, so if you, if you want to hear that, just, you know, listen through or skip to the end. We're going to talk about our top 10 films of the year or like our top five. I mean, it is our top 10, but we, it was a weird year, man. (laughs) Struggle to get 10 good films this year. Yeah. We had a lot of trouble putting that list together. Uh, We'll talk about it when we get there. Before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. The first story, Pixar's new film, Turning Red is now going straight to Disney plus uh, following Omicron and the pandemic and and word on the street is a lot of Pixar people are bummed about this. Andy, what do you know about this story? Uh, so Turning Red, which was Pixar's latest uh, film, which is supposed to be be out in March sometime this spring, supposed to be a theatrical release. And this looks good. It looks really, really cute and funny. And it was announced on Friday that it would be going straight to Disney Plus, uh, which was a real bummer for Pixar and the people who work there, they were really looking forward to a theatrical release. And this is the third movie in a row, I believe, that will be a theatrical theatrical release for them. So they're not too happy about that. Uh, but this a lot mostly has to do with uh, the Omicron surge. And also uh, family films have really struggled to, to come back at the box office. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit of a bummer. There's this, there's this report from insiders saying Pixar staffers are, are saying that they're disappointed that another one of their features won't be in theaters. And I think a lot of fans are too. Um, Disney has been slowly, it seems, uh, maybe they haven't been doing this, but at least from the outside, it seems like Disney has slowly been shifting talent from the proper Pixar studio, which they own, it's theirs, I get it, but into their Disney animated features department. You can see that with the success of films like Tangled or Frozen or Frozen 2 uh, versus Pixar's kind of waning success. They're still obviously putting out good features, but their last two, Soul and Luca, both went straight to Disney+. Plus. You didn't have to pay anything extra. They were basically just add-ons for the service, whereas like their proper animated features, like Encanto, you, you, you would have had to pay if you wanted to watch that in the first 90 days. Uh, it's weird. And I think fans of Pixar are a little off put by this news. I mean, it's nice. They'll be able to, to watch these things at home with the subscription they already have, but also it feels like a weird bit of uh, a bit of a slight little, little disrespect towards, towards Pixar and what it is. Like, it seems like their movies are getting smaller and Disney animated features are only getting bigger. What do you think? Well, I think, first of all, they're definitely putting all their eggs in the Buzz Lightyear basket, um, which is supposed mm. to be out later in the yeah. summer, the, the Lightyear film. Uh, so I think they're probably going to really push for that to be theatrical. Um, but again, the, the box office has been bad during COVID, and it looks like it's going to be continue to be bad into the spring. And I also read somewhere that distribution decisions have to be made three months in advance, So, which is now uh, for, for Turning Red. So they have to make the call pretty far in advance, which, which sucks because it, it could turn around. We, we could be in a much better place in three months, but the decision has to be, be made today. I, I think that they still get a lot of value uh, for Disney plus because you have, if you have a streaming service, you have to have a lot of content and a lot of new content constantly. So I, I think that that'll help their service um, and their subscribers, all that. It just, it does suck for Pixar employees. <laughs> 
Yeah, and and the optics don't look great. It's worth mentioning when Disney bought Universal, well, when they bought 20th Century Fox, um, one of the assets they got was Blue Sky Studios, which was 20th Century Fox's animation department. That was the biggest animation company on the West Coast over in California, and they shut the whole thing down. They put all those people out of work. Um, Disney, that the House of Mouse will not be stopped, I guess. And whatever it is they're doing under the advisement of, I assume, their new CEO, Bob Chapek, uh, it doesn't look great to me from the outside, but they're turning out banger films. We're talking about Encanto later in this podcast. So if you want to hear more about that, stick around. Next up, we got to talk about the box office. Uh, Spider-Man is still crushing it at number one. Meanwhile, 355 completely flopped. Almost couldn't have been a bigger flop. And that's really a bummer. Um, even I, And I say that being a person who also did not see it and does not appear to be reviewing it on their movie podcast. Andy, what, what's going on with the movies? So, of course, Spider-Man continues to dominate. No no surprise there. The bigger story is that this uh, kind of spy action, all-female-led film, um, the 355, uh, totally bombed. But at, I for, completely forgot about this. I, I didn't see any marketing or any of that. And this seems like something that definitely should have been sold to Netflix instead of trying to release in theaters. Yeah, I'm not going to say the 355 is the same kind of energy as something like... I don't know. Yeah, Netflix is Netflix is Gunpowder Milkshake, but I am going to say that Gunpowder Milkshake had a lot more attention and a lot more advertising than it feels like this movie had. It's a bummer. Uh, the cast in the three five five is solid. We got Jessica Chastain, Diane Kruger, Penelope Cruz, and Lupita Nyong'o just to start. Um, <laughs> that's good talent. I assume it's good action. I mean, I I really don't know a lot about the movie. I remember seeing ads for it. Almost pre-pandemic, I feel. Yeah, yeah like, a long time ago. And they've been sitting on this thing. And it's a bummer that it finally comes out and, like, nothing happens. Totally, totally should have gone to streaming services. Uh, what do you figure the odds are we actually end up watching this, Andy? I mean, surely it will be kicked to pre- like, yeah, premium I mean, VOD and streaming services This is going to be on 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 demand, uh, ready to rent in, in the 17-day minimum uh-huh. uh, th- that it has to go. So it'll move there and probably try to find some second life on, on a streaming service. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's unfortunate because when you, when you have, I always feel like when you have uh film, like films like these, which are all female led, they, they have kind of this unfair pressure to succeed. Um, and this has kind of been set up to fail. I think it does. It does feel like unfair pressure. That's true. And, 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 Probably shouldn't be putting that on it, but but dude, I haven't seen Lupita Nyong'o in a movie in a while, and she's super good. <laughs> it bums me out that like this is the first thing I've heard of her being in in a minute, and like nothing's happened. She got nominated for Academy Award for us, and she's super good in it. So like I don't know, I don't know. There's there, there's some people in this movie that I like. I'm bummed that it went nowhere. That's the three five five. Uh, and again, Spider Man is continuing to crush it. What what's gonna topple that? Do you think? I mean, other than time, because there's nothing really cool coming out in well, January. So I I think just over time, people will stop going to see it. Yeah. Well, I wonder if if Scream this this weekend might might if a bunch of horror fans come out for that, um, that that might have upset it. But that would be kind of surprising. I think and there's really nothing until 
It, it's going to be a bad couple of months. That's what, hang in there for Bolton Cinema and for yeah. And we'll be watching it on on streaming because I was looking at the calendar and uh, it is weak. And actually, that'll be a good segment for us to do next week. Is uh, you know January February film? Preview. Yes, yeah. And and for anybody concerned, rest assured, uh, these months typically that's when we watch like the obscure stuff we didn't get to last year, right? Like this is uh, around this time last year is when we watched another round, great movie from 2020. You know, we watched it a little late, but. The point is, we find good indie features in this time, so so keep it here on Oscar for more. And a quick aside about Spider-Man crushing at the box office before, before we go on to our last story. I went and saw The Tragedy of Macbeth uh, this weekend at like a megaplex, like a 30-screen theater in town because um, that was one of the only places that was running it. They had the surplus screens and could run it. And when I was getting my popcorn, the, 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 the person serving me, they were like, what are you going to see today? And I said, Macbeth. And they were like, what? And I was like, The Tragedy of Macbeth. And they were like, Oh, and like clearly had no idea or, you know, just didn't have anything to say about it. And they just got kind of quiet and said nothing. And so I get my popcorn, go to the end of the line. Thanks. The next person comes up. What are you going to see today? They ask them and then they go, oh, Spider-Man. They're like, oh my God, it's so good. Like they just light up. Like they like, can talk about Spider-Man yeah. for a you, week. You had three movies you could, yes. you could answer with that. <laughs> like, nobody, nobody's talking about Macbeth. Is not one of them. Yes, but we're talking about Macbeth. So let's get through this last story. We'll jump right into it. Uh, the Golden Globes happened. What? <laughs> <laughs> they they sure did, and the power of the dog and West Side Story were topping the private ceremony amid the ongoing boycott. Andy, how did you take partake the Golden Globes this year? I'll tell you what I did. I literally refreshed their website and watched it update live. That's how oh, I, I enjoyed the Golden that. I just, Globes. I just, yeah. I just saw this this article the day after. That's it how was I enjoyed it. so sad. Yeah, I found it. I found a, a thread on Twitter where somebody had a link to like the Golden Globes website and it just said at the bottom of the awards page it had all the nominees listed and it was like we're just going to update the winners in bold as we go and I was like as we go through what are you are y'all in a room doing this somewhere or is it just somebody like I mean, editing they, the webpage did they, did they not live stream it I didn't oh, see anything probably not. no probably not, I uh, actually yeah I didn't see anything oh, it really weird really weird uh, for those of you who may have just tuned in and are not caught up on the Golden Globes uh, due to some quality controversy last year, uh, the Golden Globes lost pretty much all of their streaming or broadcast partners and had nowhere to stream or broadcast their show. So they didn't book a venue. They didn't They didn't get like a stage. They didn't invite a bunch of celebrities out and do a red carpet thing. They didn't do any of that stuff. None of it. They, they just updated the website, I think. <laughs> With the winners, and we've got the list. So let's 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 talk about it, Andy. Where do we get started here? Um. Well, we'll just go th- go through the big nominees or big mm. the big winners. Uh. So best motion tr- picture drama went to The Power of the Dog. Uh, other nominations were Belfast, Coda, Dune, and King Richard. So The Power of the Dog. We've been that's what we talked about last week, and it's been getting a lot of buzz. And we'll yes. see if it kind of gets more buzz during Oscar season. Uh, it is a struggle to watch. That's what I've told everyone. <laughs> I it's interesting that it won. It, it actually got a bit of love in here. I want to say best director went to Jane Campion, right? Yes, Power of the Dog. Also, best performance by an actor in a supporting role went to Cody Smith McPhee in Power of the Dog. Power of the Dog got a surprising amount of love, and I didn't expect that. I won't expect that at the Oscars. Um, it's good, but like I just feel like the Oscars are a bit more flash and flair, and something like Dune would probably pull more attention. Yeah, something um, make a bigger splash. Yeah, I I this this was a curious one, but let's let's continue. Uh, I I'm not going to read I don't think we need to read 
nominees. I'll just blow through some of the big categories. Mm-hmm. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture went to Will Smith for King Richard. Surprising win for Will. Good for him. He's great in that movie. Uh, best performance by an actress goes to Nicole Kidman and Being the Ricardos. A lot of people said she was miscast. I haven't seen the film. I can't say for sure. Best motion picture, musical, or comedy goes to Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Uh, best animated motion picture is Encanto. Um, best director, Jane Campion, Power of the Dog. Best screenplay, Kenneth Branagh and Belfast. Um, and best original score, Dune, uh, Hans Zimmer's score for Here Dune, we go. which was good. Um, from what I at least initially saw, I, I am surprised Dune did not get more love. I really expected that to kind of <laughs> be be the top of things, and, and it barely got much attention at all. I mean, did, Dune at least caught some nominations, but for the most part, like... You don't see it much here. Also, very little Spider-Man. Not saying Spider-Man's a, an award-winning no. film, but I at least would think it would be on here somewhere. But man, they, they're they particular this year. Right. Well, again, the, these awards aren't, aren't very well respected or <laughs> revered, but they are kind of sign, a little bit of an insight into what we might expect to see when the nomination Oscar nominations are announced uh, next month, beginning of next month. Mm. So keep it here on off script for that. Uh, overall, we'll see what happens with the <laughs> Globes. I don't know if this is like the slow, you know, supernova death of the Golden Globes or what this is, the burnout, but um, it's definitely weird. So Golden Globes 2021 came and went. Uh, with that, we should jump into our first feature. Andy's going to be taking the summary on this. Andy, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, it's a complex one to be sure. Please take it away. The Tragedy of Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. So this is the latest adaptation of Shakespeare's famous play, Macbeth, uh, directed by Joel Cohen of the Cohen Brothers fame, starring Denzel Washington as the titular Macbeth, Francis McDormand as Lady Macbeth, and... Uh, Bunch of other who's who in in the cast. Uh, for those not familiar with the story, uh, Macbeth is a 16th century Scottish uh, nobleman uh, who, at the beginning of this battle, meets comes across three witches who tell him he will, you know, be entitled to fame and fortune, and that he will be king, and he will be named, you know, all the, all this uh, premonition. And then one of those premonitions comes true, and he begins to think, well. Maybe I am king. Maybe I will be. He then uh, <laughs> murders the king himself to, to make sure he is uh, crowned, and then he has to deal with the fallout of that and uh, actually goes on a bit of a murder spree <laughs> um, throughout, throughout the, the play. It's very famous. It's been done numerous times, most recently in 2015 uh, with Michael Fassbender playing Macbeth. Uh, that film was by Justin Kur- Kurzweil. I also starred Marion uh, Cotillard. This is very different. Um, usually you, you either get kind of period appropriate Macbeth or you get like modernized crazy version. And this week we have something that is period set, but also very, very kind of modern and art house style. There's a lot to talk about, a lot going on in here. And as well as I have to, I have to, t- to tell you my, uh, uh, my screen of this cause it was actually really terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Andy's Andy. Well, why don't, why don't we start there? Andy, what, what the hell happened when you went and cause you saw it in theaters like I did. Yeah. Yeah. But so you I just had a messy audience. Yeah, it was, it was the audience and the venue. I was at the Angelica Dallas and I just had a very chatty audience. Uh, it was an older crowd. 
they were a lot of people whisper talking throughout the whole movie about this and that and the um people kept oh this was weird people kept falling <laughs> in the middle of the movie like falling in the aisles like they have these really short seat backs i guess people were like catching their feet as they were trying to and no less than four people fell four uh, people yeah how long it's it, an it, hour and 45 minute film <laughs> four yeah, well, people two, took a dive Two were at the very end as we were leaving, but two sure. felt like in the in the middle of it. I assume these um, were people getting up to to walk out because they did not like what was what was happening. Yeah, in the uh, people, yeah, yeah, it was just a lot of people up and down, a lot of noise, a lot of chatting, people falling. It was just it it wasn't a great screening because of the audience. Mine was very quiet, other than the person serving popcorn who was like, "What what is it you're going to see?" Uh, it was <laughs> it was very relaxed. I think there was one other person in there. It was very quiet. That's how, uh, that's how I wish I had seen it. Yeah, I, I th- that's probably the best way to go. Like really, really private and intimate. Um, you know, interestingly, Shakespeare's work was originally meant to be seen, like obviously, on a stage with an audience. Uh, this is not that. This is a, this is a screen. This is this is something a little bit more more intimate. And uh, Joel Cohen leans in. Uh, the tragedy of Macbeth is. A really, a really cool spin on the story um, that that most of us already know, uh, but it is fundamentally it's Shakespeare. It is it is Shakespeare for Shakespeare's sake. It is direct Shakespeare. Um, you're going. I mean, it's it's the script to Shakespeare. So that means uh, if you're familiar with Shakespeare, that a lot of it is very dense language that that has a lot a lot of of double meanings and entendres and metaphors. That's also coming at you very quickly. So if you're not familiar with the story, I think this movie might be a bit of a bear to get into. But I am pretty familiar with it, and I enjoyed it, I think, a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, how familiar are you with the OG Shakespeare story? <laughs> uh, I'm pretty familiar with it. I've read it before. Um, I've seen the, the I've watched the 2015 version a couple of times. I really like that adaptation. Um, and I, 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 I generally enjoy Shakespeare in the end, um, you know, the... I was trying to think of some of the other modern ones. Coriolanus uh, comes to mind, which again has mm. it's like this military thing, and like Gerard Butler's in in it, like doing Shakespeare. Like it, it works even though you don't think it should. Right. Yeah. I always think of like uh, what Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet, right? right, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and 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 John Leguizamo. Um, this movie is a bit of a different approach. Uh, it is entirely in black and white. Uh, it is filmed on a soundstage. I think they shot it in 35 days. So it was a really quick shoot. It's very low budget. It's small cast and it's just Joel Cohen, right? Of, of the Cohen brothers There's a great write up out of variety about, uh, Cohen working on this film, how he came to it. And really what it is is after 18 features with his brother, he just wanted just kind of a breath of fresh air just to try something a little different. And he's married, Joel Cohen is married to Frances McDormand. And Frances McDormand had, was cast in a uh, Macbeth play. And she was playing an older Lady Macbeth with a bit of a different motivation, right? Lady Macbeth in the original work uh, encourages her husband to kill the king so the two of them can take the throne. Uh, in this version, she, well, you know, I'll talk about why she's doing it when I get to her character. But the point is, uh, 
his, his Joel Cohen's wife, Frances McDormand, was doing Macbeth, and and he thought, well, that's that's actually really cool. And he went and saw it and thought, you know, I really like this story. This, this is something really interesting here, and I like this read of Lady Macbeth being older and being a little wiser and 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 maybe not being as young and ambitious as she often is in Macbeth mm-hmm. plays. So if I was gonna if I was gonna adapt Macbeth, how who would I get to play Macbeth to play opposite Frances? Right, it's got to be somebody older, somebody unique. And he arrived on Denzel Washington. And then he thought, okay, well, that, that's cool. Who, who would I get to play Duncan? And and he just started kind of working his way back in his head. And before he knew it, he thought, I have a feature here. I need, I need to turn this into something. So they booked a soundstage. They got together and they made it happen. It's simple. It's small. Um, and it's almost like an indie film. And and it will be on Apple TV, Apple Plus, I think, um, on January 14th. But for now, it's in theaters. That's where we saw it. Uh, but boy, it's it's... It's a unique feature. <laughs> it really it really is almost more like a short film or an indie film than it is like a full-on something because it's very intimate and it's very small. Right. So what, that's probably one of the big differences we can start getting into. So the 2015 version is very cinematic. It looks, it looks a lot like Braveheart. There's a big battle scene. You know, they're in castles and in there. I think they actually filmed in Scotland. Like it's very, very, it, it looks like a movie. This is very different. It, it, it looks more like a play a lot of times. Like you look, feel like you're on a stage or you yes. feel you're, because it's very, very minimalistic. You know, you, you don't have big crowds, usually just like a few people on camera at a time. Like every everything is very, very minimalistic and it, and it gives it a, a different feel. Um, what, one of the standouts, where there's, we can talk a lot about performances, but um, one of the things that's done really well are the witches. Um, which which are a famous part part of Macbeth and and in every version that that's it's kind of a highlight of the play and it's on a whole other level and uh, the person that they I want to look to see who this up um, yes Catherine yeah. Hunter is an actress that I don't know um, she plays the witch and she is amazing like just in, incredible there's two uh, witch scenes in Macbeth there's one at the very beginning one about halfway through. They're both just incredible, and this is probably the most fun uh, in this version that I had. I really liked uh, the those scenes. Yeah, um, the the lean on kind of the soundstage look is important. Um, they they designed all of their sets to intentionally look as if you were looking at a stage, which makes sense, right? It's it's a Shakespeare play, but it also leans into this kind of like ethereal presentation. Uh, the film opens with Macbeth kind of walking in through this like fog that's present, and it. it it gives it this kind of dreamlike quality, and that's what that's what Joel Cohen says he was going for. That it was kind of like almost like you're kind of shifting through a dream, you know. This this kind of unique version of Macbeth you may already know, or this kind of new tale. But either way, it's 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 kind of a reach back to older history, and 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 maybe just a bit of that mystical, and that comes out so well with Catherine Hunter as the witches. Uh, she's amazing. She has a ton of stage work under her belt. Uh, as far as films go, the most recent thing she was in, she plays Harry Potter's neighbor in Harry Potter five. I think she was friends with the director or something that is in no way a big role. She's got like four lines and that's it. But in this movie, my God, <laughs> she literally steals the show. Every scene she's in, I'm like glued to the screen looking at her. She's yeah, it's older like, and it's she's like Denzel who? Yeah, like she she's she she has such a brilliant, like guttural, earthly, otherworldly delivery to her lines, like to presenting this kind of mystical double double toil and trouble 
uh, magic that 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 Macbeth is meant to kind of be interested in, but also maybe a little scared of. And she does it. She does it so good. She she's got a little like body work in there. She's a bit of a contortionist, and she's older. And like she just draws the eye in a way that like is 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 hard to nail down. Uh, Denzel, meanwhile, as our titular Macbeth. Is pretty good. I, I liked most of his performance. So I think Andy, you were the one who pointed out he does maybe go a little too far at, at a couple points. And you're right, he do, he does he does start shouting lines at times where it yeah. feels a little too aggressive. But I what would you think? Yeah, I feel like with Shakespeare, you, you got to be careful because you, you you can't tr- turn it up to eleven. It, it's not you know I keep making this analogy. You can't do you can't handle the truth. It's not one of those lines. Like you got to turn it up to like eight. Um, like when we, we think of like the Romeo and Juliet, the Leonardo DiCaprio version, everyone in that movie is like screaming their lines and like shrieking. And it like, it's like, it's not, it it feels out of place. And so Denzel does a little bit of that, but for the most part, uh, he, he's solid. He, He goes a little bit overboard. And then, but the other, at the same time, half the time he's like doing mumble core and like, I can't. I was having a hard time like understanding him. Sometimes he's like a little bit too reserved, but but overall, I thought he was fine. And it's you know it's exciting to kind of see. And I don't think I've, I've ever seen a version with a black Macbeth um, or played by a, a black actor. So, and there's a lot of black actors in in this version. Yeah, the uh, Macduff is also played by a black actor, Corey Hawkins, who I remember most recently from what King Kong Skull Island, and briefly he's in Black Klansman with a scene-stealing performance. Um, it's a very diverse cast. Uh, we we jump around in age range a little bit. Uh, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are older, which I think um, gives them gives them interesting motivations, right? Like in previous versions I've seen Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are are they're on the come up, right? They're on the grind. They're trying to get the bag. And like Macbeth's a lord, but like he wants to be he wants to be king. So when the witches come and they tell him after this great battle that hey, you're going to be king, all hail Macbeth. Um that's exciting and his wife takes that and 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 says, "Hey, let's let's roll on this and and we will make you king by murdering the king, right? We're 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 on the grind." But in this film, Lady Macbeth and Macbeth, they're older, right? And they're on they're on the other side of the hill. Their hair is gray and, and they're on the come down. And Lady Macbeth has a much more interesting spin in that she is motivated by a bit of envy and a bit of, hey, it's our turn now. Like, we have done this. We have played Lord and Lady long enough. Like, now it is our time to take what's ours. Like, we've earned this. We deserve it. A really interesting angle on the exact same text that people were reading 400 years ago on stage, right? Like, and that's that's a unique approach. Meanwhile, uh, you've got, like I said, like Andy said, a, a cast of colorful characters, different races, ethnicity, uh, and and I enjoyed the way different actors and actresses approach Shakespeare. Denzel's a little hardcore sometimes, but for the most part, he plays it straight. Frances McDormand knows the material so well that maybe she speaks at times too fast. Lady Macbeth, she, she's chewing through text. Yeah. But then you look at somebody <laughs> like Brendan Gleeson playing King Duncan. He's thoughtful and sincere, and he speaks slowly, and you can catch every word he says. Everybody's got a different read on Shakespeare, and I think Joel Cohen wanted the artists, his, uh, his, his theatrical playwrights here, to bring a little of that in. I, I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And and you were mentioning the, this kind of different spin, and I I think that's the real challenge of doing Shakespeare is you know well how do you make it different? How do you yeah. not do everything has been done? Another thing that stands out is with with the witches. Um, there's this whole like bird theme, which is totally new. This isn't something from the play or something that I, that I've seen in in other 
it, that's not in the original text. Like there, there's a whole thing where, where the witches kind of they they look bird like. Uh, you know, there's one in the in the middle scene that uh, they're up on like these uh, ceiling structure things and rafters over. yeah yeah yeah, the, the, yeah. and they just kind of look like vol- vultures and they yeah there's a lot of like bird imagery um which is very unique to this film and not something I, i've seen before and again that's one of those things that i i really liked and that stands out um in in something that again what how do you do something that's a little bit different right it does i, I think the raven the kind of theme of like a raven being a a sign of things to come has been used in other Shakespeare plays, I think in maybe certain adaptations mm-hmm. of Macbeth, but yeah, I've never seen it featured so strongly here and it's effective not only because it feels like a, a kind of otherworldly element, right? This witch who may be a, a shapeshifter or have some kind of connection to nature that like other humans don't have, but also it plays great visually. The movie is in four by three. It is not widescreen. It is square or almost square, uh, and it's entirely black and white. And being on a small stage, filmed very quickly, black and white, right? Small budget. It seems like visually that would be a bit bland, but it's kind of quite the opposite. Uh, While you can see the seams of the stage, that's usually played for really great visual effect. Um, At times, the back of the stage may be completely black backdrop with little specks of light coming through it to illustrate the night sky. Right. And you can see the back of it, but like it, it works because it's supposed to represent something bigger and tangibly in this kind of dreamlike presentation that Joel Cohen's cooked up. That works great. And, and, and the darkest darks come through on screen. Right. You can see these wonderful gradients of grays and blacks coming through that really bring out detail that bring out the wrinkles on Macbeth's face. Right. And they bring out like the frustration in Banquo's eyes and like. They help you see a side of these characters you simply would never get on stage. Also, it's played visually um, to create really, really stunning uh, visuals with their set design. Some of their architecture and lighting are like really fantastic in these castle scenes, even though they're small. And the way the camera set creates almost like brutalist art like it's it's hard to describe but there's frames in this movie that are really stunning like some of the it best lo- stuff i've seen in, in theaters all year it looks like an illustration at times yes. reminds me of like if you were reading a, a graphic novel comic book uh kind of thing it actually reminded me of frank miller um yeah of uh sin city actually that the, just the black and whites uh, telling the story through it, again very static images at times yeah and like really really taking the opportunity you know taking taking the horse by the reins and leaning into that small budget and small, small thinking and small sets to create something really fantastic on screen. Like that's a, that's a, that's a good exercise. And I'm glad Joel Cohen took advantage of it. This is the first, I was just reading on IMDb. It's the first feature he's done without his brother since like ever. Um, You know, this is technically his first one. Uh, Ethan Cohen was uncredited in Cohen films until 2004, though retroactively Joel Cohen says that he helped him with every single one. Raising Arizona was a Cohen Brothers feature, even though at the beginning of the film it says a film by Joel Cohen. This one, though, is uniquely his own. And I think it's a really, really, it's really a triumph to see that, like, even though this is a small project, even though this is not a big feature, like, there are moments of real magic in here. But that's not without fault. Um, the second act in this movie sags a bit. I think. It does. It does drag. It does drag. <laughs> it does drag. Because it's a, it's Shakespeare. Like for everything everything glowing I have to say about the visuals and the presentation, it is Shakespeare. And like there are people who are going to get real bored watching Shakespeare, and that's okay. It's not for everybody. 
yeah the the, the second act kind of starts after the the death of the, of the king um and th- there's a lot of there's a lot of again talking there's pe- people different people in different rooms it's macbeth and lady macbeth it's uh you know Mac- uh, i can't remember everyone <laughs> flay hunts Duff, and, and Banquo, his, yeah yeah pe- people Malcolm, it's like two and three Duncan, people and yeah. um not a ton happens that that's when uh you know there's a, a famous kind of dinner scene where where um macbeth starts to kind of hallucinate or he starts to see the ghost of of the people he's killed um it's just it definitely drags a little bit in the play in general and especially in this version <laughs> yeah it does uh one more thing i wanted to mention before we move on to um you know, recommendations and then our top 10 lists and then Encanto because we've got a lot of show to go. Uh, I did want to mention Alex Hassel in the film as Ross. Uh, I have not seen this man uh, appear on screen yet, I think. Um, this is one of his first big roles. He is stunningly good in this movie. He plays uh, Macbeth's kind of, he plays the uh, right yes. hand of the king, really. So he's the right hand to Duncan. And then following that, he becomes Macbeth's right hand. He carries out some dirty work for him. And this dude has like piercing eyes his gaze is strong in this movie. Like he hardly ever blinks. He is just creepy and foreboding and super good. Like even if I don't know what he's saying because it's Shakespeare, I feel like I understand what he's doing because of Alex Hassel's work. Uh, most recently, he is the villain in Netflix's Cowboy Bebop series. And other than that, I don't know what else the guy's done. Keep an eye out for him. I hope he yeah. gets more work. Uh, I thought he was Jude. I thought he was Jude Law for a second. I know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or um, he looks like certain. I can't remember. He looks like somebody I know. But anyway, uh, Andy. Any other thoughts for recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend the tragedy of Macbeth? I would recommend it for people who are already really familiar with the source material. Like if you've seen Macbeth before or you, you've read it, if you've played it, if you've performed Macbeth especially. Um, if you're really familiar with the source material, I, I think you'll dig this. If you're not, I don't think this is the place to start, um, which is a comment our good friend Matt uh, said. Uh, because the the story is a little confusing like just shakespeare is a little confusing if you if you're not really familiar with it al- already uh, the the book version that i have has a bunch of explanation on every page what all the phrases and a lot of like outdated word words and and things like that um so it, there's a lot going on and if you're not familiar I, I don't think uh you you'd enjoy this but i i would say if 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 you are, are familiar then then so what I'm trying to say is that if you haven't seen Macbeth before, the 2015 version, I think, is a better place to start. Yes, uh, I'm I'm kind of uniquely in the same camp. I, I like this movie a lot. Um, I think it is a recommendation only for those who really liked old cinema because um, it's non-traditional. And yeah, you should probably know the story going in. I, I don't think this is the, the freshest way to like get into Macbeth, I think because of its stage presentation, even though it is trying to do this like ethereal thing, um, ultimately, uh, you know, it it harkens back to the old play. It it knows where it's coming from. And I think because this film acknowledges that origin and acknowledges what it is and where it comes from, you should probably have an idea of what that is, too, before you walk in. Like, I, I feel like that would help you enjoy it. It helped me enjoy it. Um, if you don't like Shakespeare, no, obviously not a film for you. This is this is a direct adaptation. It is the same language. It is the same text, just with new people saying it. So if you're not into that, stay far away from Tragedy Macbeth. But if you do like it, keep an eye out for it on Apple Plus on January 14th when it comes out. Just a couple days now from when we're recording. 
And, uh, you know, I don't know. That's, that, that's the tragedy of Macbeth. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. This is a big deal every year, and I'm excited we're finally talking about it because it took me forever to get together. Uh, Andy, you want to do the, the formal announcement? It is time for our top 10 films of the year. Yeah. <laughs> top 10 of the year. Yeah, no, it it is exciting. It's it's a big deal. This uh, is always every- a f- yeah, this is always a fun thing to do put together our our list and i i start doing this during the year when i see a great film i add it to the list and, and just wait to see if other things uh come on to it, it's easier it's easier to keep up with it at the in the meantime andy yeah, yeah there's two kinds that listen there's two kinds of film film reviewers all right there's the professionals like andy who like by by <laughs> by november 1st you had like a soft list together you're like oh dude like i already got like eight picks i'm just gonna see some more and maybe move them around for the most part me like 20 minutes before the show i was like uh, what's gonna go here what can i put in here but regardless we've got them and the lists are pretty good i i think they're solid lists i don't think they're too obscure i think what we saw last year is mostly translatable for everybody there's a couple couple features on here that maybe the average movie don't go or didn't see but i think i think overall we're not we're not too pompous these these are good lists these are these are solid <laughs> sure, lists, sure. in my opinion all right so, so let's yeah yeah, so let's go from our. It's going reverse order from from ten to to number one, and I'll do can my I, first fi- five. Yes. Okay, so can I can I can I pitch you an idea? Because I feel like every year this is a little clumsy. I <laughs> sure. think what we should do is basically. Like, I know it's fine on the show. Here's what I'm thinking. Uh, let's go through basically your list as a blueprint, and then each one you say. So when you say, "Oh, my number nine was this," I'll just say what mine was, and then we'll talk okay. about your pick. That's easier than the back and forth. So basically. You you lead this and I will just kind of go. Okay. Oh, yeah, it was mine or whatever, and it'll, we'll be fine. Because they're honestly a lot of the picks are the same. Most of them are the same. They're just in a different order. So mm-hmm. you know. So I, I don't even have ten. It was a struggle of a year. I actually only have nine. And you and didn't I have force it, or, which I think I, is good. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. There's something I could have, but I I could not come up with ten great films. <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather you not, right? It's it's like the Oscars. Like if you don't have eight good picks for the year, pick five or whatever. Like it's fine, right. you know. Just just be honest about it. So starting with my number nine is The Matrix Resurrections. Who'd have thought you'd see The Matrix four on the top ten of the year? Here it right. is. Right. This is this has been an incredibly divisive film. Um, you either love it or hate. You're either on board with what Lana Wachowski is trying to do, or you're not. I it definitely worked f- for me. It's a very non traditional kind of sequel. She was not looking to like continue what had been done b- before. The movie is very metaphysical. It's very. Um, you know, it's addressing a lot of issues within its own legacy, and while also trying to give us a a lot of new lore and new new things. It feels like three movies in one. I've watched it several times, and I like it every kind of every time I watch it a little bit bit more. And I I'm I'm always excited for the Matrix. Um, and yeah, I was excited to go back to the world. So that's my that's my number nine. My number nine was Encanto, which we'll be talking about in just a minute. So that's exciting. That's on the list. Anyway, uh, regarding The Matrix, I think what's exciting about The Matrix Resurrections is it's a brilliant response to the constant wave of like nostalgia bait, cash in, reboot, 
rehash, resequel things that's so popular nowadays, right? Like all these big studios are going out and grabbing properties and remaking a new thing as fast as they can to make as much money as possible and ride the, ride the nostalgia wave for audiences everywhere. And The Matrix Resurrections not only meets that challenge, but addresses it, responds to it, and in my opinion, exceeds it. If you're going to have a movie that represents what the age of like 2021 nostalgia reboots is the matrix resurrections is the best possible answer for it i think it's a great a great pick on the list what's next um at number eight is spider-man no way home my god (laughs) spider-man on the list yeah, yeah. This, this was, of course, the culmination of 20 years or so of Spider-Man movies culminating in, uh, you know, a, a bunch of villains and heroes all coming together. And it, it this shows this is the right way to do nostalgia and those kinds of things to cash in on what you've done before. Star Wars needs to be taking notes because we had a real story. We had real heroes, real villains, real stakes, real loss. Uh, and it was it was a great fun movie, and of course it's made a b- billion over a billion dollars, billion and a half. And actually, it's a big been a big surprise. They knew it was going to be successful. They didn't realize it was going to be this successful. Mm. Uh, my number eight was The Matrix Resurrections. So, like I said, not a very different list. But regarding Spider Man No Way Home, I think Spider Man is such a cool comic book movie that breaks a lot of the rules of how a movie is supposed to work. I mean, it, 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 at times it almost feels like that exact thing I was just criticizing regarding the matrix, right? Just nostalgia, cash grab. But what it does is it looks at the properties that came before the previous Spider-Man, the previous Spider-Man villains, the previous lore, and it approaches them with a sense of gratitude. Like it, it, it thanks those creators. It thanks those those people who are passionate about those properties for doing what they did and building a legacy where we have now. It pays tribute to them. It honors them. And it does it in a way that's fun and exciting and funny and and bold and, and emotional. I, I really, really like Spider-Man No Way Home. And I feel like of all the comic book movies that have come out of, of Marvel's slate of 28 or however many they've done now of all of them, Stan Lee would have loved this one a lot. Like, this is a special kind of comic book movie. And, and there's something really unique about it. If you haven't seen it, go see Spider-Man. What's next, Andy? Zack Snyder's Justice League. Speaking of comic book movies, my <laughs> God. How, how did Zack Snyder's Justice League make it on your life? I had this as an honorable mention. My number seven was Titan. Uh, what do you know about this movie? Uh, so Zack Snyder, you know, he was given an extra $70 million to complete his vision of Justice League. Um, and so we got this four-hour monster of a movie, completely different from... Joss Whedon's different in in tone and style. The score is completely different. Uh, we get a lot more story uh, of a number of characters. Um, this really turned turned it around for me because you know I I was not a fan of the other the previous Justice League and Zack Snyder's work in the comic book realm hasn't been great. Uh, but I was really surprised by a lot of this, and, it, and it's a shame it's not going to really uh, be continued after he seemed to finally get his foot in. Zack Snyder's Justice League is not on my top 10 list, but I want you to know that when I was drafting it, it was for a long time. And it's definitely an honorable mention. I thought about putting this on here because when I think back on Zack Snyder's Justice League uniquely, it's an experience that I like. Like, I I think there's something going on in this movie I respect, not because it's Justice League, right? But because Zack Snyder's Justice League is a bit more. It's it's an extension 
of of a creator's work that was never really meant to be seen, right? Warner Brothers never intended for that to be released. That was never supposed to be finished. And there were memes and we laughed about it on the show about people making fans making petitions for Zack Snyder's Justice League. But then it finally comes out and it turns out it's not just some goofy comic cash in. It's actually a bit of a thoughtful something like with the soundtrack that's slower and a pace that's different, like, and, 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 and a body of work that ultimately I think is better than the actual theatrical release. It's better than Joss Whedon's justice league. So yeah, it's not one of the best movies of the year to me, but it's a really cool movie. And Zack Snyder's justice league is not something you should sleep on in my opinion. My number six is West side story. Mm, number six was uh, Annette. <laughs> So both which are, both which are sorely missing, sorely lacking, I see, uh, from your tops, to your your last four here, but maybe we'll get to it. Uh, yeah, but both musicals. Why, why, Andy, I'm going to be honest, I didn't see West Side Story making your list. And so mostly because of scope and spectacle. Same way, uh, you know, we talked about Dune just being so massive. That's that's how West Side Story is for the musical. Like, yes. the musical numbers, I mean, it, it, it is a very... Um, you know, it's not an updated remake. It's a total like remake of the original film. It's set in the fifties. It's uh, those same characters, but it's just modernized with uh, like the dance numbers are are so good. The performances are are really solid. Um, it it's just it 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 shows the kind of the right way to do a remake uh, of a classic film. And I mean, there's sixty years past past the original. Um. Were really phenomenal. I, I thought one of, and it's a shame because this is one, uh, yet another one of those dramas that's just not doing real great, um, at, that are aimed at adults. But I, I thought it was done just from a director directorial standpoint, performances and all that. Like it's everything you go to the movies for. Yeah, my my only crit criticism of West Side Story is it feels a little bit too much like a West Side Story adaptation and a little not enough like a Steven Spielberg film. And while it is right. uniquely both, West Side Story stays so close to its original roots. Like it 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 doesn't stray far enough away, I think. For Spielberg to have any real opportunity to be an auteur and make something new, it's just it's a fresh coat of paint on something I already love. And if you love West Side Story, this is in no way going to tarnish your opinion of that play. This is a loving tribute to it and 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 the musical work and the Broadway that came before and since. Spielberg pays tribute to it in the best way. But if you're a lover of Spielberg first and of West Side Story second, this movie may not be your favorite of his filmography. But I'm glad it's on the list. I'm glad we got to talk about it. What's next? Uh, my number five was The Card Counter. A unique feature. All right, to the card counter. Um, so for those of you who don't remember, this was uh, Paul Schrader's uh, latest film who wrote and directed it, uh, starring Oscar Isaac as uh, a war veteran um, who takes up gambling to kind of focus his, his energy on, on that so he doesn't go do terrible things from the PTSD he has from, from the war. It turns into kind of a little bit of a, re a revenge film as well. We eventually... Ty Sheridan and um, oh, I can't remember her name. Tiffany Haddish are, are also in the are in the film. Uh, this might be Oscar Isaac's best performance that I've ever seen. He he really has some amazing stuff. I'm worried that it'll get overlooked because it was such a small film. Like I don't think anyone else saw this really. Um, this movie's about anything but playing cards and, and gambling. Um, and I, I really loved it. 
I actually really like the card counter as well. I was skeptical going in. And and I think in my review, I was a bit skeptical too, but it's aged better in my head since I saw it. I feel like the card counter is like 60%, maybe 70% a mediocre film. It is a small budget shot mostly in hotels, like from a director who has mostly experience writing. You know, a small cast, it's it's pretty simple. But the other 30% of the card counter is some of the best stuff I've seen in a movie theater all year. There, There is a sequence in particular in this film that was so stunning. I I, 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 I started laughing in my seat. I enjoyed it so much. I, I, I think the card counter is really unique. And I think you're right. It might be best Oscar Isaac's best performance ever. Might 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 be tippity top, and 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 I know that sounds funny because Oscar Isaac's been in a lot of features. How could you say this is best? But like the way he digs at this character and its motivation is is truly gripping, and I'm glad to see it on the list. What's next? Uh, at number four is Teton. <laughs> Ooh, Teton. Yes. Uh, how do we talk about this movie? Okay, so this was the uh, directorial debut, uh, not. Uh, debut uh this is the second film by uh julia durkanal who did uh raw a couple years ago it was a great horror kind of psychological horror movie um and this is her follow-up which which follows um a young woman named alexia who's kind of a serial killer and uh has she goes into hiding there's this whole transformation this movie is about so many things she has this accident when she's a child has a titanium plate in her head um has this like literally love relationship with cars and automobiles but this movie's about so many things it's about love and gender and family and aging and just like a million things and it's just it, it's it's so in, intense and insane like the in, entire way through and it's just like when we talk about bold cinema <laughs> it's probably the boldest thing oh we saw all all year Re- really liked it and uh, hopefully we'll get some oscar love yeah, my number four was uh, Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch. Also a bold film, but an entirely different way. Titan is like a really, really brutal roller coaster. And I know a lot of people say, oh, this movie's a real roller coaster, right? Real, real ride from start to finish. This one's different. This is like a roller coaster you'd ride at an amusement park and get off and be like, dude, my spine hurts. I'm never riding that again. I thought I was going to die. And it's not the best ride you rode all day, but you're never going to forget it. Like 10 <laughs> years from now, you're going to remember that time you rode that damn coaster that was so brutal you couldn't get away. Titan is, or Titan, I, I'm not even sure how you say it. it. It really is something special. I can't remember the last time I watched a movie that made my hair stand on it. <laughs> like this movie does and that's not even the best parts of it like uniquely it has messaging woven in it that just just has something to say that so often you don't see at the movies like a really cool feature i think it's on amazon prime i think that's where we saw it um i think you probably can still see it there so if you haven't seen it uh don't bring your parents <laughs> to see Titan. don't watch it with the kids do don't not watch it. it with the kids you probably shouldn't watch it with anybody you should watch it alone and then go look in the mirror and take a shower catch it, if you can catch it on the a big screen though i definitely wish i wish we'd uh, been able to do that you know it's funny i just saw uh this next week texas theaters running mandy again we should keep an eye out for teton i bet it comes back yeah. and, and it'd probably be there or like another local joint we'd see it we should totally i will absolutely go see that movie again like my god ugh, ugh. anyway uh what's next number three is lamb yes the only feature <laughs> i haven't seen of of your list i, I missed lamb 
Uh, so Lamb was the uh, Icelandic horror film uh, came out in mid-October starring uh, Numi Rapis uh, as a sheep farmer. Um, her and her husband have uh, kind of lost a child and uh, they are blessed on Christmas Day uh, with this kind of lamb child, half, <laughs> half sheep, half human child, which they begin raising as their own. And that's the the premise, and it's it's a really bizarre premise. Um, but it's about a lot of things. It, it's a very much like a psychological horror. Reminds me a little bit of The Shining because they're out in this very secluded, you know, Icelandic farmland. There's only three or four people in the film. Um, again, it's about a lot of things. It's about loss and mourning and family. Uh, and I I got to see it twice because I went with a friend to see it a second time. Really, something else. It's been. I. Th- it might be shortlisted for best foreign film. Uh, so we'll see. That's Lamb. My number three was Spider Man No Way Home. We've obviously talked about that already. And while I didn't see Lamb, I can at least tell you why I didn't watch Lamb <laughs> because I think it's worth mentioning. It's Andy's. It's Andy's number three top three films of the year, and I, I haven't even seen the damn thing. I didn't see Lamb because I saw the trailer for Lamb and I thought, you know what? A24, I love you to death. This one might be a bridge too far. Yeah, like the, you, when you got a kid dressed up with a lamb head or a CGI or whatever the hell's going on in that movie, I thought, you know what? Nope, I'm out. I looked up on IMDb. It has like three people in it. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to go see something else this week. And I just missed it. And that that seems like that was a big mistake, especially because I see it so high on your list here. Uh, I need to see this movie, obviously. I, I, I wish I could see it in a theater. I'm sure I've missed that opportunity. But if you haven't seen Lamb, keep an eye out. Because uh, just like me, I hope I hope you're curious after hearing this list. For sure. what's, what's number two? Number two, The Green Knight. With the bullet, baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, greatest of kings! Uh, so this was the movie I pr- was probably looking forward to the most uh, this year. It had been delayed a year because of the the pandemic. Uh, we finally got to see it. This is, of course, the story of Sir Sir Gawain of King Arthur fame, who uh, he is challenged by the Green Knight to a duel. He cuts his head off. The Green Knight gets up and says, "I'll see you in a year. I will to return the same blow." He has to go off on an adventure to seek out the the Green Knight and learn to become a, a chivalrous knight along the way. Really love the the style of this movie. The the character very different. Um, usually in these kind of our Arthurian Arthurian legends, we get very noble characters and we they demonstrate what it is to be a vir- virtuous person in this we, we get someone who's not that we get someone who's very selfish and and who has no honor and learns to get it ac- along the way this was directed by uh david lowry i saw this three times we got to see it with a special screening with david lowry doing a q a afterwards at texas theater uh which was really really neat definitely one of my favorites of the year uh the green knight is also my number two and andy knows for a while i debated putting it at number one um because i it is such a cool movie and is made on such a small budget from a guy like who's what probably our age a little older from dallas like and i don't mean to say oh well the director's from my hometown obviously it's the best but it just goes to show like how far you can get from relatively humble beginnings, right? And it and it puts every other movie that doesn't meet that bar a little further down the list. Like I looked at Edgar Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho compared to this, and I was like, it's not even a contest which one is the better film. And and this one is 
so much smaller, right? From the director of a ghost story. Like it, it's, it's so much more intimate. And obviously Edgar Wright is not looking to adapt an Arthurian legend into some kind of metaphor about what it truly means to accept fate. Uh, but this movie's something special. Uh, yeah, like, like Andy said, we went and saw it a few times, got to see a Q and a with director, David Lowry. If you have not seen the green Knight. Please do yourself a solid and check it out. It is a really, really sincere, really cool film. Love this movie. And with that, we've got number one. Number one is Dune. Dune! <laughs> Dune My Arrakis! We were... Desert we were... Power! <laughs> That's right. My Dune. My, My Dune. Yes. Uh, yeah, we were super excited about this all year, and I, I wasn't sure what to expect. I w- was worried this movie might kind of bomb, like Blade Runner 2049, you know, a big, expensive, original concept, high concept uh, sci-fi, um, but I, I loved it. It's, again, so massive. D- uh, Denny Villeneuve knows how to tell a great story and also just think on, on a really large scale. The score is wonderful. The performances are, are good. I, I think I... I saw it at least twice. I saw it twice in theater, and then I, I watched part of it uh, at home. Actually, it's actually available this week on on DVD, on DVD Blu-ray. Um, but definitely one of my favorites of the year. My Dune, favorite of the year. Yeah, Dune. Dune is is well and truly incredible. A film that people have said comes from a story that simply cannot be made into a good movie. Uh, coming from a director who previously said he will never make a big science fiction feature. Again, somehow these two impossibilities collided and created one of the most unique, most engaging, epic, legendary scale films I've seen at the theater in a long time. Dune is so much fun. It is the reason we go to the movies. It is a movie that should not work, but so works so well that when I left the theater for the next few weeks and even still, I could not help thinking about the dunes of Arrakis uh, and, and the spice melange. Like what a cool movie. I feel like it made me excited about the world of Dune in the same way Frank Herbert's original work did back in 1967 when nerds just like us picked it up and read it. <laughs> And that's that's so perfect. Like Dune is is really unique, a wonderful feature, brilliant cast all around. I don't have enough good things to say about it. And that's Dune. Uh, what a year at the movies, Andy. Yeah, um, incredible time. My now, God, you did have some some on your list that I that I didn't. I did. Yeah. Okay. I, we we talk about that for a minute. Uh, I had Encanto, which we'll be talking about in just a moment. At my number nine. I had number six was Annette, baby Annette. Uh, for anybody who has seen that musical, God, uh, yeah, let me talk about Annette for a minute. Annette is a, a smaller, smaller feature. It went straight to Amazon. I think it was an Amazon Studios film, uh, starring Adam Driver and Marion Cotillard as two star-crossed lovers, uh, who have a young child with a mystical gift of song and, and, and have to find out what that means and ultimately how, how they, how they find themselves and their purpose in the world. Uh, when they're suddenly out of the spotlight and back in the shadows. Um, and that's really cool. <laughs> it's music by Sparks, uh, the band. Really unique feature. And he liked it more than me, I think. But I just wanted to put it on here because I thought it was bold well, cinema, man. It was doing well, I, something I didn't see anywhere else. I, and that grew on me because I didn't really like it at, at first. It was It's super kind of weird and bizarre. and But I loved the soundtrack. And the soundtrack eventually won me over to the I've listened to the soundtrack like ad nauseum. 
And it was actually released in like a longer form version of it was released. And I've been listening uh, to that as well. You have Candyman on here. I completely forgot about Candyman. What do you mean you forgot about Candyman? Yeah, Candyman was my number five. Because I was disappointed. That's why. why. No. Okay. So it's worth worth mentioning. Uh, (laughs) I have never seen the original Candyman. I had no expectations going in. I I had no idea what I was getting into. I was looking for a fun romp with Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. And I got it in spades. I think Candyman is a ton of fun. The story of a, uh, uh, tro- uh, um, I don't want to say tortured artist, but a troubled sure. artist uh, in 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 living in Chicago. Chicago is that? What I, I keep wanting to say New York. Yeah, uh, living in a downtrodden community in Chicago, he discovers the legend legend of the the horror icon Candyman uh, that we know from the films, but he knows from his his. his world in which Candyman is a real thing, obviously, uh, and begins to have unearthly and horrifying uh, visions that may be all too real uh, regarding uh, the the murderous Candyman. Uh, really, really unique feature. I, I love the cinematography in this. There's a couple of scenes where characters are murdered that are so well done, I, I, I didn't even really realize what was happening on screen until they were halfway over. It's particularly one wide shot of a skyscraper and a window that I know you're you're, you're probably familiar with. Um, what did you think? I, why, why the hell isn't Candyman on your list? I mean, come on, you could throw that <laughs> top 10. That's a, that's a 10 spot for sure. I, I think, uh, so this is clearly a franchise starter. Like this is almost like a Candyman origin. Film. I think that's fair. Yeah. And that's not what the, the, the original Candyman is very much. It's a, it's a slasher film in, in the tradition of Freddy, Jason, uh, you know Michael Myers, and where the killer is the killer from the beginning of the film. In this, we it takes us a long time to get to like full fledged uh, Candyman, and it was just that the films are similar in that they were both very socially conscious. Um, the original is set in in again Cabrini, the Cabrini Green area of Chicago with Virginia Madsen kind of playing the she she's the main protagonist and she is having these visions she has conjured the Candyman she's accused of these murders that he's committed and it's it's a very different film and it I think maybe I was just expecting something different so I probably just need to to revisit it knowing what it what it is a lot of times when I know where a film is is going then I can appreciate it a little bit more than if I'm guessing a lot. Right. It's in no way a perfect film and it's not like one of the best horror slashers of the decade or anything, but like it's pretty solid of the horror I saw this year. This is one of my favorite easily. Um, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah, it's stuck with me since. And I think that's a big part of the reason it made the list. Uh, the other one that Andy didn't have was Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch at my number four. Uh, the story of the Kansas Liberty, Kansas Evening Sun, I think, and the reporters <laughs> yes. who write for it uh, is unique and different. It's essentially three or four short films kind of stuck together. But I have really come to respect Wes Anderson over time. It is a Wes Anderson movie for Wes Anderson people. So if you don't like Wes Anderson, it's probably not a movie for you. Andy uniquely lands, well, not so uniquely. Most people don't. Andy is not not a big Wes Anderson fan, so naturally it's not on his list, but I got it here. <laughs> Honorable mentions, anything worth uh, we're talking about? Yeah, let's try and go th- through these quickly. Uh, Malignant, which was the other horror, uh, another horror movie that, that starts out very cliche and then kind of goes off the rails for the last 20 minutes really crazy just for the last the way it ends uh it made my list yes uh go ahead uh annette uh, which we've talked about in the heights which was almost a spiritual successor to west side story which is funny because west side story was remade um starting to anthony ramos uh, about a community about the washington heights uh, community in new new york um and a lot of stories in there by lin Man- manuel miranda mm. Um, and then uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, which got 
pummeled by it came out the same weekend as spider-man no way home yeah uh so that was never gonna have have a chance um but a uh, really good remake of a film from the 40s uh, a lot of style great great performances I, i've been meaning to go see it hopefully i can catch a chance the other my honorable mentions this year were netflix's the harder they fall a really unique western it's on netflix now go check it out good action a west side story which we already talked about james bond's no time to die which is not a perfect film and is not in the top 10 but there was something about it that i think i liked it's kind of stuck with me since i wanted to mention here Zack snyder's justice league and pixar's luca which is on disney plus not as good as encanto obviously encanto's on my list luca is not but movies got heart i don't know it it, it caught me in a special way it, it hasn't caught everybody most people i know that saw it didn't think it was that special but i don't know i liked luca uh now uniquely before we move on to encanto my god we are over on this segment andy was 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 your worst film of the year what, what, what do you got? worst of the year well this is I, I i didn't order these in any particular um oh, they're all bad yeah yeah <laughs> space jam a new legacy Ugh. This this was a soulless cash grab uh, that tried to sort of recreate. It didn't even try to recreate the magic of the 1997 version, 96 version. Um, and there was it, it was mostly just flexing all their IP. There's all these these weird references to like I mean things like Game of Thrones and The Matrix and other. And this like this is a kids film. Why are you bringing up these other properties? Pennywise is in it. Uh, and it was just bad. LeBron James is in it. He's he's fine. He's fine. I mean, he just plays himself. Uh, but it's just a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, uh, you know, the original Space Jam was definitely like a merchandising cash grab tie-in. That's what it's supposed to be. But there was just enough heart there, and there was just enough emotion and passion that I think fans over time have grown to love it because it's such a unique blend of animation and live action and Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny. And it's it's weird, but like it, it has its place in time. But Space Jam 2 forgets that. And it, may, it, it reboots the film and forgets all of that passion, all of that love, and instead just picks up those merchandise and reins and runs as far as it can with them and it's soulless and there's nothing good about it it's it's really a bummer uh, i think people expected more i certainly did it didn't come around um another terrible one was m night Shyamalan's old oh. which was the beach movie <laughs> where uh, the the people on the beach get the beach makes them old the beach makes you old that's the whole yeah yeah Right. Took us forty five minutes to realize the beach makes you old. God, uh, su- yeah, super. It was kind of boring, uninspired. It, the last third of it was completely made up, different from the source material. It's got a very uh, underwhelming twist ending. He's got to stop doing these twists because everyone sees them; they're always bad now. They're like, <laughs> right? You, None of them work. A good twist, you you got to not see coming, and you know to see it coming in if it's M. Not Shyamalan. Yeah, uh, old th- this year has served a really unique uh, opportunity for me uh, as a good story metaphor. If you are a writer, if you create entertainment, any- anything people partake in or-, or engage with or agree with, whatever, don't don't give away the bit and then when people get to the proper film, not acknowledge the bit for 45 minutes. We knew in the trailer the beach makes you old. When we watched the movie, it should not take 45 minutes for the characters on screen to find out what the audience already knows, that the beach makes them old. You should get that out of the way fast because all it does is disconnect your audience from your film. Everybody in my theater was bored. Three people on the back on their phone because we all knew the beach makes you old. There's no twist. We know what's coming here. So if you're a writer, if you make stuff, just if you tell people the beach makes you old, Acknowledge that the beach makes you old. Just, and, just, and, just run. With and I've it. noticed this in other films where the premise it takes forever to get to the premise. Yeah, like and old was the first movie I think that I really like 
I noticed it on screen so, so blatantly. It takes so long for the characters to figure out the beach is making them old. And it's like, dude, everybody in this theater is bored. Like, this is, it just takes too long to get to. So, yeah, that's, that, that's old. And you had one more on here, right? Yeah. Finally was uh, Those Who Wish Me Dead, which is the Angelina Jolie firefighter drama, um, which also starred Nicholas Holt. Um and was completely for John Bernthal was in it as well. Completely mm-hmm. unbelievable. Uh, not you know they're on a soundstage half the time. Bunch of fake fire. Um, totally forget forgettable. Completely forgettable. When we were putting our top ten together, um, I I messaged Andy <laughs> at one point and I said, hey. I was rolling through the the movies last year and I got to this one that I cannot remember and it's Those Who Wish Me Dead. I could not remember what this movie was because it's the most generic, forgettable title I've ever heard in my whole freaking life. And I looked it up and it's about a it's about a woman who fights fires in the forest. Who would have thought that would be a movie called Those Who Wish Me Dead? It should have been called Firestarter or something, right? Or or like I don't know. Uh, they, they got a name for those people who, who parachute into wildfires and fight. I'm like, you know, go run, run with that. This, this movie is forgettable. It is not good. Uh, I think Angelina Jolie's okay in it, but she's miscast. Uh, ultimately, I'm glad she had an opportunity to stretch her legs before jumping on the eternal soundstage and filming that. But this one's just a miss. It's, it's just not good. And, um, I agree. My my worst of the year was Space Jam: A New Legacy, and and those two others are also not shabby. Uh, or they are shabby, I guess. And that's our top ten. Uh, this took so much longer than I thought it was going to take to get to. Uh, I, I I wish I hadn't booked another review on top of this one, but we did. So with that, let's talk about Encanto. La casita. So, Encanto is the story of the Madrigal family, uh, a unique magical family living in the the forests of Colombia that all have magical gifts, Uh, and they live in this wonderful little town called Encanto. Specifically, the Madrigal family lives in this giant house. They each have a room, and in each room, they have like magical powers and and unique gifts that have been given to them by this magic candle that they have at the top of this house where the abuela of the family lives and resides over the candle and watches over her family, and they cook and clean, and and they all do their thing. Uh, The movie specifically is about Julieta. Uh, a young girl in the family who uniquely does not have a magical power. She's the only one that doesn't. So she she is left out because she is normal, whereas everybody else is, has super strength or super hearing or can produce weather from nothing. Uh, everybody, everybody else is like an X-Men, and she is a nobody. Uh, and it's a movie about finding identity. It's, it's a movie about finding purpose uh, when you feel like you don't have one. It's, and, and, and it's a Disney animated feature. It's available on Disney Plus now. And I watched it and thought, you know what? This is pretty good. I kind of want to talk about this with Andy. Uh, so here we are. Andy, what did you think of Encanto? Yeah, I thought this, this was pretty good, really charming. Uh, this big family, the animation is, is really top-notch. I think that's what I liked about it the most. You have this house that's alive. You know, the, the tiles kind of flare up as people walk around. And it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, Beauty and the Beast with like everything being alive um, in, that, in that way. And it's got a, a sweet story at, at its center. It's a little simplistic, I think it's it's not as you know mature as com- or complex as like a Pixar film would be, but it's 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 fine. It's it's good for the good for the family, good for the kids. I really enjoyed it overall. 
So a quick thing before I jump into it. Uh, the lead character's name is not named Julieta. It's Mirabel, actually. Julieta's one of the it's sisters. Mirabel. I, thank you. I got confused because there's a large cast of characters in Encanto. Uh, we have a very large family. Most of these family members have spouses or partners or somebody that they're dating or somebody that they want to date. A lot of people. Uh, in fact, this whole little town that's been built around this family, like you really don't even get to any of that town. Most of it takes place in the house, but there's understandably multiple houses and shops built around this house because there has to be a functioning economy to keep up with how big this family is. And Encanto uniquely never leaves its setting. The entire film takes place either in or around this house. Our characters are not going on some grand adventure. Hercules is not traveling to Olympus to meet his father. Like this is a Disney movie where our characters don't actually move around a lot. And additionally, there's a lot of characters. Typically Disney films and children's films, they're pretty simple. This one has a lot. We got eight songs in Encanto. It is a musical. The songs are very complex. Uh, they're written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Disney, uh, Disney songwriting darling. Uh, and they are very unique. Uh, the, so the songs are dense. There are a lot of words coming at you really fast, often so dense uh, that visually the artists couldn't keep up. So they had to just kind of animate like whimsical situations <laughs> for our characters yeah. to be in on screen. Cause what's happening in the songs is coming at you so fast. In fact, the songs are so dense. I looked this up. Lin-Manuel has a co-writing credit in the film, which he did not actually help write, but his songs move the plot forward in such an effective way that they felt it was proper to give him a writing credit for the film. Uh, Encanto is a different kind of Disney animated film. Right. And, and that's really the reason I wanted to talk about it, because so often these movies are just simple and cut and dry and they're about a hero's journey. Right. And, and Encanto uniquely does not actually have a physical, really tangible journey. It's it's Mirabelle's discovery to finding out why she doesn't have a gift. It's her journey to stopping everybody else from losing their gifts when the magic of the family comes under 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 threat of some kind of unknown force. Right. And it's that's, ultimately. That's Finding that's meaning, the, right? Right. Well, I was gonna say that's the conflict. Is that the uh, she she kind of envisions like the house cracking, this magical house. Uh, you know, it, it, there's like this magical candle that that where the, the source of everyone's power, and this candle begins to burn down instead of kind of just being forever, and the house is cracking, and basically everyone's starting to kind of lose their gifts, and then they're not real sure why, and she's kind of on a mission to save the house. Right. And, and at times, certain characters may even accuse her of, hey, maybe you have something to do with this because you don't have a power, right? Like, and we're turning normal like you. And she she ends up kind of put outside of herself uh, and outside of the family in situations that way. It's, it's an emotionally complex film, something I'd normally expect from something like Pixar, right? But if my theory that Disney's slowly lifting talent from Pixar and placing it at their own studio is correct, that would explain it. Uh, Encanto features a really diverse cast, um, not necessarily in the voice acting booth, it's definitely diverse enough, but literally in presentation. The people of, of this world are of multiple races and ethnicities all over the film. Uh, and it's actually really satisfying. Like you get lots of different skin colors, you get lots of different skin tones and the whole pitch is supposed to be, well, this is one family, right? And that's not traditionally something you'd expect from one family to have all people from all walks of life from all over the world, but they are in this wonderful little paradise. And I thought that was really unique. Like that's, that's a step away from the norm. I mean, tragedy of Macbeth even kind of does that in its own way. Um, right. Well, it, that's well, good stuff. this is, uh, yeah, I noticed that too. And what it is, it it's still 
there are a lot of ethnicities even within uh, Spanish culture or Hispanic culture in and in this in this case it's Colombian culture so you have I mean basically different gradations of, of skin color you have like more Afro-Cuban or uh, darker skin and and like the hair everyone's hair is a little bit different be, because of the kind of different ethnicity so it was it was yeah it did a great job of representing a very large variety of uh ethnicities we just given within within colombia itself yeah and and being this film is strictly in colombia you see the words colombia on the sides of buildings like it is it is very explicitly in colombia and while we're in kind of a magical oasis of a paradise within colombia i like i i like being able to see a children's film um a little like coco that's set in in or around south america that shows it in like pleasant light because I feel like we have a lot of media here uh, that that doesn't often do that, and I think it's important for kids to see a world where hey, there there's a lot of love in a lot of places, you know, and like Encanto leans into that; it doesn't shy away from it. It says, "Hey, yeah, this is a tangible place. This is a real place you can look at on a map where amazing things happen and amazing people live," and like that's tremendous. It would have been so easy say well it's some mystical wherever right they're they're in they're in fantasy land but no like Encanto puts plants its flag and says no this is a real place like where where real things are possible and that's huge that's 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 huge for kids nowadays yeah i was gonna say um yeah it, the setting is is really charming really fantastical i i didn't like the songs as much as say something like moana um yeah it does it does have a couple of good ones the uh song about uncle bruno is particularly we don't talk is, about bruno is uh i i actually heard about that song before i saw it i saw i it, heard so that like, song's trending on like the billboard top 100 yeah <laughs> but so that one's really strong but like a lot yeah. of it is is we is weaker than than some of the other stuff like i said because like the entire moana soundtrack is really great so I thought about, it's funny, I thought about doing, a, I, I honestly thought about doing a TikTok about the Encanto soundtrack, and I realized, like, being a white dude on the internet, I have no place to criticize, like, a lot of the culture in this film, and I don't mean to, but yeah, the, the songs in here are uniquely really dense. Lyrically, there's a lot going on, a lot of complex musical stuff. Lin-Manuel Miranda is is grabbing the reins with both hands, and and they're like, "We need." Disney says, "We need you to make a musical feature." Goes, "Okay, I'm gonna get re weird with it though. I want to I want to do new stuff that I haven't done before." And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, go ahead." And Encanto is one of those opportunities. Uh, a couple of the songs were kind of misses for me for sure. I, I, others like Bruno, like like we don't talk about Bruno or a really pretty song that's entirely in Spanish, like right at the end of the second act. I, I don't know the name of it, um, but I heard it's about a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, like really pretty, really slow and, and no subtitles provided, which I think is meaningful. Like I, I think the strides this movie makes to present diversity and like culture in a positive way are really important. And it does it through good music, good presentation, good setting and great animation and fun characters. Um, I like it. I, I like it. it. It feels different to me. It feels a little bit more special than like, I, I feel like their previous animated features, especially something like Frozen 2 have. Um, but obviously not for everybody. It is a children's film, right? <laughs> it, is a, it is a family film. While I think a lot of people our age might enjoy it at the same time, like, you know, you're going to show this to your parents. They're not going to have a good time. They're going to be bored. So <laughs> it's a different kind of feature. Any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? I'm ready. For fans of Encanto out there, I'm sorry we blasted through this review, <laughs> but I just, we're way over time. I did not mean this to take as long as it has. So with that, Andy, would you recommend Disney's Encanto? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a lot of fun. It's a sweet story. It's good for the family, good for the kids. It's it's not very long. It's only 90 minutes. Um, I've seen the time listed incorrectly everywhere. It is a 90-minute film. Credits roll right at the 90-minute mark. Um, it's sweet. It's got a, a good soundtrack. Some of the songs aren't as, as good as uh, some of the other previous Disney animation uh, films, but it, it's got a cu- couple of good ones. And the animation style is, is what really stood out, out to me. It's a really fantastic animation. Yeah, I, I was really charmed by Encanto. Uh, when I watched it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be a top 10 film of the year for me, and it turned out it was. Um, when I think of the animated features I've seen, the, the offerings available to kids nowadays, this one stands out. Yeah, it's unique blend of culture, it's music, it's presentation, it's animation, and, and ultimately, like, the story of a woman trying to find meaning in a place where she feels like she just has none is 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 really valuable, I think, regardless of what age you are. Uh, check out Encanto on Disney+. Plus. It's solid, and if you you already have a subscription you can watch it for nothing so worth your time in my opinion and with that uh andy what are we watching next week uh we are watching the new scream uh the not remake but kind of sequel it's, it's a little bit of a reboot Re- reboot which is a terrible word um that was starring uh, starring courtney cox and nev campbell along with a whole new cast of uh victims <laughs> to be uh, cut up by Ghostface. uh that's out this friday in theaters only and then we're also going to be taking a look at uh don't look up which uh i have heard good things as much as i don't want to watch this film i have heard positive th- things about it that is on netflix starring starring uh, leonardo dicaprio and jennifer lawrence along with uh other big cast meryl, meryl streep jonah hill uh directed by adam mckay of the big short fame it's supposed to be a satire political satire something like that those are what we're gonna, we're going to be checking out I'm interested to see Don't Look Up. I hate to say I'm a little skeptical, but like, I don't, dude, I don't do great with Doomsday Satire. I take it a little too seriously, and I probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. That's the point. You're supposed to laugh at it, but I'm also uniquely placed against Adam McKay's recent feature. Big Short was okay. I got bored watching Vice, and you, you can't tell me that like what he's doing in Vice is better than like his work in Step Brothers, like, which is, you know, a different kind of film, but ultimately like from the same creator. He's in a different. He's going in a different direction in his career. Adam McKay is doing something different. He's split off from Will Ferrell uh, recently in their production company. Um, and while I like what he's doing, I'm a little skeptical about Don't Look Up. So we'll see. Uh, regarding Scream, I have not seen a few of the Scream movies, but I know I saw I've Scream only seen the first four. Two. I think I've seen Scream one and two. I don't think I saw Scream three. Andy, the new Scream, uh, the, the whole big tagline is the killers on this poster. You, you want to take a stab at it right here on the show? Who do you think it is? Oh, I think I think it's the kid gosh, from the I, boys, Jack Quaid or whatever. Jack Quaid. That's yeah. my money. I, I know he's featured big on the poster, but it, I don't know. I think he's it's a big like cast. I'm, yeah, I'm trying not to think about it too much. I, I've kind of fallen out. I, I haven't kept up with Scream over the last 20 years, essentially. So, yeah, um, I don't think yeah, it's one Quaid. of the big three. Courtney Cox, Nev Campbell or, or what's his name? Dewey. Yeah, of course. Whatever. Yeah, I don't think it's any of them. I don't know. Yeah, we're not a spoiler cast, so we won't be talking about it on the air or anything when we actually review the show next week. But I just wanted to I just want to take a shot in the dark. I'm, I'm not afraid to say it. That's my flag in the sand. But having seen nothing about it, seen I've seen one trailer. That's my guess. It's a kid from the boys. We'll see. 
If you enjoyed the show today, if you liked our top 10 honorable mentions, maybe agreed or disagreed with our worst of the year, have thoughts on Tragedy and Macbeth, or maybe want to let us know what you think of Encanto, write into the show at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com or read correspondence on the air when we've got it so you can make it on the show easy by just writing us an email. You can also comment on Facebook where we live stream the show every Tuesday, except for today because I had something going on last night. Today is Wednesday and we're recording the show, whatever. You can find us on Twitter or on Instagram or on YouTube where we upload all our episodes and we are on all of the typical podcast outlets iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Art Media you name it, we're there and you can subscribe to us in all of those places and really if you want to help the show you want to do anything for your boys down here at Offscript who are grinding, going to see movies every single week, you can just subscribe subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platforms and get new episodes of Offscript delivered straight to you every single week movies are expensive podcasts are cheap come see off script come watch off script come i don't know hang out with us and write into the show i am I'm, I'm i'm losing we've, we've been doing this too long andy i gotta get out of here from all of us at off script bail out bail out yeah pull the shoot i did i'm out uh, from all of us at, at off script the home of bold cinema i'm zach lewis and i'm dr draper thanks for watching